I'm Reverend J. Stuart Glover, and you are listening to Faith Talk. Today, I have the privilege and honor of having Stephen Beard with us today. Stephen is a nutritionist. He's a, a board-certified holistic health coach and practitioner. He's studying functional medicine to broaden his ability to identify and treat the root cause symptoms in an effort to free people from their illnesses. I'd like also to just to take a brief moment of, of giving a shout out to my dear friend, Alicia Benjamin, for facilitating this connection. Uh, thank you so much, Alicia. So at this time, Stephen, thank you for coming on in, and I invite you to introduce, introduce yourself to our audience. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. Um, so hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Stephen Beard, and uh, as discussed, I am a nutritionist and board-certified holistic health coach and practitioner, and currently studying functional medicine as well. Um, so I can continue helping people uh, get to root causes of their lifestyle, chronic illnesses and diseases uh, to be able to live a healthier, more vital and prosperous lifestyle. So I got into this um, area roughly uh, about seven, seven and a half, eight years ago. And what really fueled my passion was me being diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic um, way back about 25, almost 26 years ago to be exact. And uh, I uh, had passed out when I was at the beach one day, woke up I'm in the hospital with like a bunch of white coats standing around me. And then that's when they told me that, um, you know, I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic. And then over the course of the next year, just really trying to learn as much as I possibly could, you know, about my autoimmune disease, you know, my doctors and my healthcare teams continue to tell me things that I will not be able to do anymore uh, because of, you know, my, my type one diabetes. And I was always told as a child, I was very stubborn. And, you know, I was the type of person do not ever tell Stephen what he cannot do uh, because I will just rebel um, and try to figure out a way to do that anyways. Um, so I guess I'm kind of glad that that has stuck with me um, because that was, I guess, the initial igniting uh, fire um, or flame, I would say, internally that really had me start doing my own research um, at a very young age and really using my body um, as experiments to try to figure out what what does and does not work um, for myself, you know, being a type 1 diabetic. And then fast forwarding, you know, again to about seven years ago, I started my um, health career um, in the fitness industry as a personal trainer thinking that, oh, exercise, you know, is the main piece or the biggest puzzle, I should say, um, in getting um, everyone's health on track. And then I was quickly uh, shown that there is much more to the bigger pieces to the puzzle than just exercise. So then that's when I went back to school um, and uh, completed my studies in nutrition. And, and to begin out with, the nutrition studies was mainly just for myself um, so I could continue staying ahead of my um, type 1 diabetes and then as I began working with more people um, I really 
was shown that my expertise was needed in the field to continue helping people, you know, strive for a healthier lifestyle. Amen. Um, and, and then after those studies, again, you know, God kept on teaching me new things. And then I realized, okay, there was more to it than just exercise and nutrition. And it's the biggest piece. And this is one of the reasons why I can honestly say people fail. And it is the psychology aspect, um, which some people may know it as the mindset. So then that's when I went back and continued my education to become um, a health coach, um, a health and wellness coach. And then I also studied um, behavioral psychology from a nutrition perspective um, and then ended up getting board certified. And then now I am in the um, hopefully soon completing my functional uh, medicine studies to continue, you know, helping people from a root cause perspective. Amen. So let me ask you a question. We, you know, in my um, growing up, I've heard people say, oh, I've got sugar. So what do they really mean? They've got sugar. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I laugh at that because, yes, um, I would say the older generation, mm-hmm. um, that is what they're used to being told. Um, more or less, it's diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either pre-diabetes or it's type 2 diabetes because diabetes um, is um, hyperglycemia. So that just means that you have excess glucose or in their terms, glucose is sugar. So you have excess sugar in your bloodstream. So that's what they mean when they say they have sugar. And and earlier, when we were talking before we got online here, um, you mentioned this um, insulin resistance. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So the root cause of, and I'm going to refer to it as metabolic health, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of our lifestyle chronic illnesses and diseases all stem from our metabolic health. Um, so, and, and this, the root cause of that is insulin resistance. So what that means is our pancreas is responsible for a lot of different bodily functions. But one of the main functions is to secrete insulin. And insulin is a hormone that is released from the pancreas that enters the bloodstream to control our blood sugars. So when we eat mainly carbohydrates, um, once the food starts through the digestive process, depending on the type of carbohydrate you are eating, whether it's refined or unrefined or processed or a whole carbohydrate, then that really depends how quickly the absorption of the glucose or sugar will enter the bloodstream. So for a person who's not pre-diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, then the pancreas works and functions properly to secrete the right amount of insulin. So the insulin carries out the, uh, the sugar or the glucose from the bloodstream throughout all of the cells. So when you start to become insulin resistant, then that causes your pancreas to have to work in overtime. And it's working in overtime, continuously pumping more insulin and more insulin because our body is an amazing creation. 
um, and it knows specifically what it needs to do, when it needs to do it, and how to do it. So with the insulin resistance, there starts to cause like a breakdown, um, a misalignment um, within internally within our body. So then insulin resistance can be caused by several things. Number one, um, being overweight. Studies can show, I mean, studies show that even being overweight by 10 pounds, and then this is having the excess weight in your abdominal area. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about internal fat, which is referred to as visceral fat. This is the dangerous fat that lines your internal organs. So it doesn't take much of additional visceral fats um, to be accumulated for a person to start to be to develop insulin resistance. Now, I approach it from a holistic perspective and through numerous, numerous studies. Um, and what has really started to work with a lot of the clients that I work with, and it is approaching it from a, health, a healthy skeletal muscle perspective. And this is something that is never ever discussed by uh, uh, people's PCPs, um, even endocrinologists. And what I mean by healthy skeletal muscle is our skeletal muscle is responsible for absorbing up to 80% of all of the glucose that is in our bloodstream. So when I take a step back and I look at all the people that I have helped, and then I look at it from a body composition perspective, almost all of my clients have much, much more fat mass than what they have lean body mass and even skeletal muscle mass. So that lets me know that the skeletal muscle is unhealthy. And what I mean by unhealthy is the standard American diet, which is referred to as the SAD diet, is heavily consumption of carbohydrates. Our body needs carbohydrates, but our body does not need as much carbohydrates as we as Americans consume continuously on a daily basis. So if we are, we're not exercising, we're not staying active, we're not utilizing our skeletal muscle, then the cells of the skeletal muscle are going to start getting filled with triglycerides from the carbohydrates that we are consuming. Now, and you, this is what's... You, you, you mentioned earlier, um, when you began, you mentioned um, whole, the difference between whole carbohydrates and processed carbohydrates and the rate in which you're the, um, I think you said the insulin is released into your body, right? Correct. Um, so, w w for somebody who's not thinking about this, what what is? Can you give us an example of a whole carbohydrate as opposed to a processed carbohydrate? Yes, of course, of course. And I'm sure we've all heard this numerous times. Um, eating a plant-based diet is way, way, way more healthier and is preventative of a lot of the lifestyle, chronic illnesses, and diseases than eating moderately to heavily processed food. So when I say a whole food, um, it's a plant-based food. So we're talking about fruits, we're talking about vegetables, we're talking about whole grains, uh, beans, legumes, anything that comes from the ground, um, even potatoes. You know, there's been so much 
you know, um, discrepancy about potatoes are not healthy for you and all this other stuff. But a potato, whether it's a white potato or even a sweet potato, you know, it, it's still great for you. So when I'm referring to a refined versus unrefined, and I'm using medical terminology, so I guess in layman's terms, um, processed or unprocessed carbohydrates, well, I'm referring to those types of foods. Um, anything that is white, so now we're talking about white breads, we're talking about white pastas, we're talking about white rice. You know, those are in the original brown form. And then everything is processed. Um, sometimes the, uh, the items are bleached. You know, a lot of the reoccurring nutrients, vitamins and minerals have been stripped away you know from these items through the entire processing process and then they are added back in which means they are enriched so because most of the dietary fiber has been removed you know these are moderately to heavily processed types of foods so once you know we start to smell you know the food as we put it on our fork or spoon that is when the actual uh, digestion process occurs because the smell is communicating to our brain that we need to start getting ready because we are about to eat carbohydrates. So then now the communication goes to the pancreas, the pancreas gets ready to start releasing insulin. The problem with the processed carbohydrates is once it hits our mouth, um, a particular substance is released, which is amylase, which starts to break down the carbohydrate and then goes through the digestive process down our throat, you know, into the stomach. And then it is rapidly. So when I say rapidly, I'm talking about 15, 20 minutes, the longest for it to actually start hitting your blood from a glucose perspective. And then that is what's going to start giving you a lot of the insulin spikes. So if you've ever drank a cup of soda or eaten some candy for energy, you're going to get that energy, that, you know, that bird of energy, maybe 10, 15 minutes after consuming it. But then you're also going to start getting that low loss of energy, you know, dropping down. And that's due to insulin spikes. So that also will lead to insulin resistance over time because your pancreas is having to work over time again um, due to the lack of dietary fiber um, and the uh, excess of added sugars and all that other stuff. So the pancreas is trying to do its job and, and that is secreting um, the insulin to keep the blood sugar regulated. All right, so I have another question. Uh -huh. um, um, you know, we're talking about the the processed and the non-processed. How do you um, do? You have any thoughts on perhaps the foods that are marketed as plant-based products? Are they? Oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> um, I love talking to people about this. Um, of course, I do. So, too many people think plant-based products are a lot healthier um, just because it actually says plant-based. I always challenge people, turn the item or the packaged item over, look at uh, the ingredient list that is at the bottom of the food label. And if there is more than three to four ingredients, 
then it is heavily processed, regardless of whether it's plant-based or not. And I mean, I'm going to be the first person to say a lot of the plant-based meats that are out there, I don't look at food as good or bad um, because all food, depending on how you look at it, you know, can be somewhat good or bad, just looking at it from a calorie perspective because our body needs calories and energy. So I always look at food on a, on a, on a spectrum. So good, better, best. So, um, I would say the plant-based meats, if that's the only thing that you can gravitate towards, I would say it's good, but there's obviously better and best options out there. And that is trying to, if you're going to eat meats, I will say limit your consumption, um, eat it mindfully, um, and in portion control and enjoy regular lean animal meat uh, because it's not processed. There's no added chemicals to it um, for the most part. Um, and you know, it's much better than eating all of this uh, processed quote unquote plant-based food, you know, that is hitting the market now. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, again, we're talking about, let's talk about the overconsumption of, let's say, meat. And is there a negative impact on kidney function? And how, if so, how so? Okay, awesome. Yeah, so overconsumption. So out of all the micronutrients, which is carbohydrates, fats, and, um, and protein, most Americans overconsume and protein, but I'm going to say it is the the good type of protein, but there could be an improvement, meaning better and best. So what I mean by that is red meat, number one. You know, anyone who's gone out to a restaurant and you sit down, I don't think I've ever seen a menu where someone does a three-ounce or four-ounce steak. It's typically an eight-ounce or bigger and a serving of red meats is four ounces. So anyone who goes to a restaurant and they're eating an eight ounce steak or even greater, you are getting in at least two servings, if not more of red meat. Multiply that by two or three times a week, which many Americans do, you are completely overconsuming. Um, you know, we in the nutrition dietetics world, we like to suggest if you eat red meat, um, try to eat it mindfully, portion control to one serving per meal, um, and then eat it once a week, once every two weeks, which could end up being two to three times a month. Um, there are studies out there, you know, that does link an overconsumption with a red meat too. Um, a lot of the lifestyle uh, illnesses and diseases, and yes, kidney disease is one of them. Um, so let, let me ask you this then. When, when somebody goes to the doctor, they get their annual check, hopefully they're doing so, and they get this annual checkup, and you know, unfortunately many people are not even asking for the results, and print, a printout of the results, so they can see for themselves, but... Um, they rely on the doctor to tell them. But what what numbers are we looking? Should we be looking for on a report of of our blood work that is attached to the kidney function? What is that called? Okay, great question. So, um, hopefully, 
everyone, when they're going to get their blood work, they're getting a full metabolic comprehensive panel done. Um, and if you are getting that done, then there is a specific test called the GFR, um, which is a test done to actually test your current functioning of your kidneys. And when you look at that, the results will show just a basic percentage. So two numbers with a percent sign after that. And normal, the normal range of the GFR is you're shooting for a 60% or higher. And so that is out of 100%. So, you know, when we're born, you know, after we develop, um, our kidneys are functioning or should be functioning at 100%. So as we grow older, as we age, um, yes, it is expected for that 100% to start dropping very minimal, um, again, as we age. But we're always shooting for a 60% or higher. So that's 60% of your kidneys are functioning properly. Um, anything below 60, so there'll be like a 60 to a 20, that is a sign of kidney disease and there's different levels you have um, level one there's level two there's level three a three b then level four um, and then once you get to level five that's when you start looking into kidney dialysis so is it possible let's say if you get some early detection where you're not you know full blown in trouble um what are the um recommendations for kind of bringing things under control fantastic question and i have actually a story to go with this sure um so back in november last year i actually flew up to ohio um because that's where i was born that's where my family's at and I spent um, a month and a half um, through Christmas with my family. Um, luckily, I have you know the ability to do that with my business. And um, I had noticed that my dad was starting to have some health complications, um, and he was in and out of the doctors. He really didn't know what was going on. Doctors didn't know what was going on either. They were always telling him everything looks fine. Everything looks fine. So when I got back here home in Orlando and then staying in contact with my parents, you know, a month went by and then now my dad is in, you know, the ER three times in one month, still could not figure out what was going on. So I literally just had my mom send me all of my dad's blood work um, from all of his blood tests that he's had for the past six months. And I literally sat down and spent some time analyzing. And let me tell you, my dad was also seeing a nephrologist, which is a kidney specialist. Um, and when I finished reviewing all of my dad's blood work results and started looking at, you know, different levels, what was high, what was low, um, what was out of normal range, and started connecting the pieces of the puzzle together, um, I immediately knew that all of the symptoms that my dad was experiencing was either was leading back to either his kidneys or his liver. So I then asked my mom, you know, if my dad had ever had a GFR test done before because I didn't see it. And then she looked for it and he had it done twice. So then she ended up sending it to me. And both times 
you know, he was at a anywhere from a 40 to a 32 percent. So I immediately like just went ballistic and went off the chain and then picked up the phone and called my mom and I'm like started yelling at her. And I was like, guys, do you not know what this means? Do you not understand this? Why aren't you guys asking questions? And unfortunately, you know, our parents, you know, those 50 years of age or older, I guess they, they're used to just going to the doctor, like you previously said, getting the test results. No one really knows how to read their own blood work. Unfortunately, doctors don't take the time to literally walk them through you know, where they should be at and what each of, you know, everything, what everything means, um, you know, on the blood test that they get done. So I ended up flying up there. I literally spent five and a half months um, up there working with my dad, going to all of his doctor's appointments and stuff like that. And then I was very upset with the nephrologist, you know, because she kept telling my dad everything was okay. But with those numbers, he was in stage 3B kidney disease and literally creeping into stage four so to answer your question yes there is plenty of things that you can do depending on what stage you are in if you are below 60 if you catch it and i mean in advance before it starts getting worse and a lot of it is lifestyle changes um, you know, going through a lot of self-care techniques um, to alter and change up, you know, your current lifestyle to more health to a more healthier way of living. So my first thing was literally looking at my dad's eating patterns. Um, literally told him no more eating out at restaurants. You know, we're going to learn how to prepare and cook our food at home. So I literally was supermarket shopping, preparing, you know, my parents' food for, you know, for, for them. And then also teaching my mom how to do all this stuff as well. And uh, to make a long story short, I literally just spoke to them a couple days ago. And uh, my dad just had a, a recent, you know, GFR test done. And he's back up to 60. Mm -hmm. um, which is fantastic because that takes him out of that stage stage two and stage three um and as long as he stays on his current behaviors that i don't believe are habits yet but hopefully they will become a habit um and the lifestyle changes that we completed while i was there then he will be able to keep his kidneys functioning at that 60 percent um you won't be able to get it back up to you know, the 80 or the 90% because some of the damage is already done. Um, but you will be able to get it back up to a higher percentage of functioning to where you get out of that danger zone. So how, how then does the um, earlier you mentioned exercise, you mentioned nutrition, but you also mentioned the psychology of it all. And how does that play into our wellness <clears throat> or, or the lack thereof? So the psychology aspect very, is very, very interesting. And um, our mind, so our mind is an organ and it is a very, very creative organ. And part of the responsibility of our mind is to keep us safe. And what I mean by keeping us safe, and that is keeping us within what we know. So a lot of people are afraid to step outside of their box. 
or to step into an uncomfortable situation because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. So then a lot of fear, you know, starts to develop. And then with that fear, some people end up developing anxiety. And then some people end up becoming stressed. So then they will take a step back in and literally will stay within their comfort zone. And that is all the mind. And that's what the mind is responsible to do is to keep us safe, um, to keep us in our comfort zone. So from the psychology aspect of things, it is really dialing in and creating awareness around things like triggers. You know, why am I doing the things that I am doing? Because I'll tell you, most people know they should not be eating this. Most people know they should be out taking a walk. Most people know they shouldn't be, you know, chillaxing on the sofa with a remote in their hand most of the day. But it comes to now trying to figure out if we know that we shouldn't be doing these things, why are we doing it? So what is holding us back from actually being capable and able to start taking those first steps to actually changing our current behaviors into healthier ones to change you know, our current lifestyle and start heading into a more prosperous, vital, healthier lifestyle? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I guess I, I have another another question. I've heard people um, articulate and express that perhaps if, you know, you mentioned that you were vegetarian, perhaps that if you're not eating meat, you're not getting enough protein. If you're living through or from a plant-based diet that you can't possibly get enough protein to meet your bodily needs, from a plant-based diet. How do you feel about that? I, um, I totally disagree with that. And I will say in the beginning when I started my entire career, uh, before I became educated, I used to think the same way because it's what it's told to you. Um, but I am living proof. You know, I've been vegetarian going on four years now. And I am consuming more protein now than I ever was when I was eating poultry. Um, I haven't eaten red meat or pork, I would say maybe 15 or 16 years now. So before I went vegetarian, I was mainly eating a lot of poultry. Mm -hmm. The thing with meat in general is it is extremely satiating, meaning that it is very, very hard for the body to digest. It will stay in your stomach the longest out of a fat, a carbohydrate, and an animal source protein because it requires so much more work for it to be broken down and digested. So knowing that if you're consuming, you know, more than even if you're consuming a serving, which is four ounces, you know, it is going to take twice as long, if not longer, to literally break down and digest that chicken breast or you know that steak versus um, plant-based products that also has protein. Um, if you're consuming dairy products um, that also has protein. Mm-hmm. Let, um, let, let's so, talk about that dairy for one moment. Um, you know, of course, we have people who are. Um, well, let me ask you: what are the what's the benefit or, from dairy products? 
if any? So there is a benefit. And the way to look at it is dairy products comes from an animal source. So there are specific nutrients um, that you only get from animal products that you do not get from plant-based products. So, um, and yes, I, I am a vegetarian, um, but I also consume a very, very small amount of dairy every single day. Um, so I can get specific things like iron, so I don't become iron deficient because many vegetarians and then most vegans, because if you're a vegan, you do not eat anything that is made from an animal. Um, you know, unfortunately, they suffer from iron deficiency, can become anemic and all those other things. So I make sure that I consume just a very small amount of dairy every single day to make sure that I'm getting in those particular nutrients. So I do not have to go on a supplement, um, you know, and also um, possibly experience nutrient deficiencies. Um, so yes, there is a benefit in eating animal products, um, but again, it's consuming them in small amounts and not overconsumption. Okay. so. You know, I keep getting these questions. I don't know, Stephen, maybe next time you're available for, if you become available for a part two, maybe we should think about that. But um, let me ask you one last question. And, you know, one topic that comes up that I hear a lot about is intermittent fasting and and how that can be <laughs> of, a, of a benefit, if any. So, yes, um, IF, one of my favorite topics. Um, yes. There are so many health benefits um, to intermittent fasting. But one thing that I also like to explain to people is without putting a label on it, most of us are already fasting mm -hmm. because most people already have it in their heads. Oh my gosh, I can't eat dinner after seven o'clock because I'm going to end up gaining weight or whatever the situation may be, which isn't true. But most people stop eating between seven and eight o'clock. And then you obviously go to bed. So you are already fasting. Mm -hmm. And then when you wake up in the morning, some people may not even eat the first meal of the day until nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, or even a little bit later. So before, without even putting a label on it, we are already intermittent fasting. Now, yes, there's specific protocols. And one of the famous ones, um, um, you know, is the 16-8 which is where you fast for 16 hours and you eat within a window of eight hours. Um, but then I also try to explain to, you know, my clients, if we take a step back and kind of look at what we're actually doing, if you're eating within a window, you are consuming less calories. If you're doing it correctly, your quality of food should be improving. Um, so, of course, we're going to see improved metabolic health. We're obviously going to eventually see improved cholesterol levels, lower triglyceride levels, increased HDL. Um, we will also start to see um, a decrease in our hypertension numbers. Um, so there's a lot of pluses, you know, going along with intermittent fasting. And I started doing it myself 
again, just to prove my medical team wrong, because all I've ever heard was being insulin dependent as a type one diabetic and even type two diabetics, you know, depending on if they're just on medication or on insulin as well, it's not feasible for you. It's not healthy for you. You can't do it. And I obviously can do it. And I have been doing it. Um, and I, I have much more energy, um, you know, when I am uh, doing intermittent fasting than when I wasn't doing it. So I'm a big fan of it. I will not do it for weight loss. A lot of people think, oh, intermittent fasting is for weight loss. And actually it's not because if you're only, if you don't eat much in a day and if you're only consuming 1500 calories anyways, and then if you're intermittent fasting and only eating within an eight hour window, you still may be consuming 1500 calories, if not more, you know, and a lot of people don't look at it like that. So if you're trying to do intermittent fasting for, oh, from a weight loss perspective, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing because it's not a weight loss process. It's for over health, great for metabolic health, and to get your lifestyle, illnesses, and diseases um, realigned uh, to bring you know the harmony back within uh, the mind, body, and soul. All right. Well, I guess we are kind of out of time, but Stephen, I really appreciate you being with us today. Do you have any um, final thoughts that you'd like to offer to our audience? Um, it was a pleasure. So thank you again for having me. And the final thoughts would be, I would say, number one, anyone who's listening, if you are currently going to the doctor and getting any type of metabolic blood work done, metabolic panels, comprehensive blood work done, please make sure you start vocalizing and asking questions. Um, because unless you ask questions, most doctors will not sit there and explain things to you, will not help you understand what you're actually looking at, if you're even looking at your, your test results. And I think it all starts there, because if it starts there, then we start to create awareness. Um, and if someone who's listening, who hasn't been to the doctor, who hasn't had any blood work done in a while, I definitely would get that taken care of immediately. Um, you know, I'll just throw that out there. High blood pressure, for example, is this silent killer. And it's called a silent killer because there are no symptoms that are attached with high blood pressure. But if you do have high blood pressure, it is going to cause severe havoc internally, um, specifically with your heart um and things like that so that's what i will leave you guys with focus on learning how to read and understand your your blood work results and if you haven't been to the doctor to get some blood work done in a while definitely get in there um so you're not like the blind leading the blind so you can actually start taking ownership you know of your health um, and turning things around amen well i'm reverend j stewart glover You've been listening to Faith Talk. We've been hearing Stephen Beard share from the richness of his training, his education, and his own lived experience. I would encourage you to visit the website www.reverendjstuartglover.com where you can um, sign up as a recipient uh, for receiving email notifications. You can reach out to me 
um, directly by email or even leave a voicemail on the website. Stephen, thank you for being with us. And uh, God bless you. We'll see you next time. God bless you as well. And thank you.